Thank you for listening to the Conform to Christ podcast, where we seek to engage the mind, affect the heart, and call people to follow Christ. My name is George Mace. I'm here with Jay Jones for a free-for-all Friday. Morning. Good morning. You like that fade on that music? It's nice. You're a it was so professional. Good. It was so good, you thought it was like a computer. That was on me, buddy. You're a pro. I can tell you're impressed. I am. I'm very, I'm very impressed. <laughs> well, what do we got today, George? Yeah, really, I've got really a, impressed I've me. got a good intro video for you to discuss the topic at hand. We're we're going through kind of the the sermons on the Trinity. We're talking about the Trinity. What we preached at the conference. We did yours last time. Yes. Trinity in the Old Testament. Now we're uh-huh. doing uh, God in Himself or the Imminent Trinity. Mm-hmm. Before we do that, though, I, I got to ask why you were laughing so hard when I came in here. You were really laughing it up, buddy. I, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Jay. <laughs> I don't know if I should show this. <laughs> well, well, let's, I, I let's guess do with a, a, I guess with a, um, I guess with a, <laughs> a caveat. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. <laughs> of just the uh, the insane world that we live in. I don't know if this was a beauty a beauty pageant or a. Do I need to turn the volume on for you? Don't turn don't turn it too loud. All right. <laughs> I don't know if this was a beauty pageant and this was the talent section, or or if this was a uh, a singing competition. I, I can't find what uh, I can't find what it is. Um. Uh, you can uh, you can go to my screen though, and uh, we can read the description before I play the video. <laughs> no, George, <laughs> this isn't real. Is this? this it's is, real. Oh this yeah, real. I was reading through the comments, and this person said, "I'm from Brazil." This was real, oh, um, no. and it uh, they posted okay. Well, video. So, well, some people aren't watching, so read it. Okay, so this is from Clown World. Clown World, <laughs> and they're just posting. Just the world we live in. Yeah. Right. Um, this uh, is a Brazilian deaf, mute, trans woman. So it's a guy dressed like a like a woman. He's wearing a dress. He's singing Whitney Houston's "I Will Always Love You." <laughs> I'm, and I'm I, already <laughs> laughing. I want. Oh, no. Oh, I no. want to make a caveat that we're not making fun of deaf people. The why this is so ridiculous is the only reason that this would be allowed is because it's a trans it's person. a trans person right so if ma- this was, if this was if this was anybody else this wouldn't have gone on right but because it's a guy pretending to be a girl who's dressed like a woman and has some kind of mental disorder mm-hmm. because he thinks he's a woman. Um, this is stunning and brave, right? So you're, yeah, so not making fun of deaf. People yeah, I at just all. Uh, I I just wanted to make that uh, make that caveat, but uh, it's rough, Jay. Are you sure you? <laughs> it's it's really. George, rough. I'm already la- I'm already starting to laugh because the picture picture is so stupid. Well, watch uh, watch this guy. Are you ready? Yeah, yeah. Let's see it. 
I don't hear Oops. it. I don't know where the volume is. Is it good for us to not have volume? Uh, yeah, yeah, probably is. Well, it's not on my side. Brazilian deaf mute trans woman sings Whitney Houston. I will always love you. <laughs> no, George. George. Oh, no. Oh, I can't take it. <laughs> George, that's what I sound like when I come home and I see my dog when I've been gone all day from work. Uh-huh. Look at the judges. I Brilliant. think this this must be a this must be like Brasilia. Bra- Brazil's got talent or something. Oh my god. But I don't know. He's got he's he's wearing a he's wearing a tiara. Mm. Oh goodness. Um yeah. Clown yeah, world yeah. is the appropriate. <laughs> so, um this uh this should be offensive to uh to women. <laughs> and to deaf people oh yeah right um because th- it's just making a mockery of of um it's just making a mockery of the whole thing mm-hmm. but the only reason why this is allowed to go on and, and the only reason why people would even consider this person as a serious contestant is because he's a trans a trans person oh yeah because he's dressed like a woman. For sure, for sure, George, for sure. You know, just, I don't know, what, five years ago, this would have been considered just unimaginable. Right. Yeah, utterly ridiculous. And now it's um, it's just, look at how brave these people are. <clears throat> and again, we're seeing this is not a woman dressed up like a man who's competing it's a man dressed up like a woman. Right. Right. Yeah, always that way. Yeah. Well, I got more more clown world for you. Okay. Uh, we'll jump into the uh, intro to the the actual topic on the Trinity we're going to talk about, and we'll get to that Andy Stanley video in a second. But I just have to play this, George. I, I have got to play it. Now, this guy here is... Uh, Greg Johnson, who is a pastor, I guess he's a PCA pastor. You can switch over to my screen, you'll see it. I want to play this. This guy says that he has more intimacy with his uh, best friend, quotes. Oh, goodness. Right? <laughs> you showed me this. Yeah, this guy. So, George, this guy is... Oh, um, goodness. He's a, <clears throat> they call it same-sex attracted person. He is a pastor. So, he's supposedly... Did you look up where this guy was from? Did you look up anything about him? No, I didn't know. I just saw the video. I knew nothing about him, but I knew he was gay when he said that he has cocktails every Thursday night with his best friend. <laughs> and I was like, what dude has cocktails every Thursday with their best friend? Another guy. I'm like, oh, this dude's gay. But he's a pastor, so I was confused. And he is gay. Um, he is celibate, apparently, is what he says, but I, I'm not... Well, we'll talk about it after I show the video. But I think it's insulting to every person that's uh, married. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I think it's absolutely insulting. Mm. So let's let's see what he says, and we'll talk about it. Okay. I can't believe the men in his church like actually let him say this stuff. I can't believe and the men. He, in, I can't believe the men in his church let him come out dressed in those pants. What well, is how, that? Well, how are there men in his church actually? <laughs> that's, like, how are you yeah. going to dis- disciple? Right. Like oh yeah, actual men. This is why. This is why guys. Um, I think don't. it can only run one audio. Switch back it to me. <laughs> this is why. This is why. Um, 
This is why guys don't want to go to church, right? Yeah, guys don't go to church, George. Because they don't want to go to this kind of church. They don't want to deal with this kind of yeah. this kind of pastor. There we go. <clears throat> Here we go. Look at this. My my best friend. Okay, you switch over. Uh, and I have been grabbing cocktails uh, every Thursday night for about seventeen or eighteen years. Uh, we vacation <laughs> so together. Stupid. You know, we have two-hour-long uninterrupted conversations. Now, how many of your parents had every week a two- to three-hour-long meaningful uninterrupted conversation? The reality is some of them, but. I've done a lot of marriage. Cases. I'm going to pause it. The reality is zero of them. You know why? Because if you've had children through procreation, <laughs> you're never going to have a three-hour conversation with your wife uninterrupted. But this that's, moron that's doesn't true. understand that uh-huh. because he has no kids. Yeah. What an idiot. I will have three-hour-long conversations every day with my wife when my kids leave the house. Until then, we are in the chaos together. Mm-hmm. All right. Sorry for the rant. There's going to be more. And I think I have a higher level of intimacy with some of my friends than some people have with their spouse. Um, <laughs> with your my- spouse. <laughs> <laughs> this guy's oh really, uh, he's, he's really triggered you, hasn't he, Jay? Oh, dude. <laughs> I told you, like. Jay, you want to go grab some cocktails after, uh, oh, after we get done rec- recording? Mm. Have a two or three hour conversation uninterrupted. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Yeah. All right. But think about this. How how insulting is that? Mm -hmm. He said he's more intimate with his his best friend, Uh right? Who he's totally celibate with, by the way, George. Wink, wink. He has, (laughs) they go on vacations together. They, They go on vacations. George, I know. That if you had a girl that was a friend mm-hmm. and you went on vacations with her, mm-hmm. I would totally buy that you guys were being celibate. Uh-huh. But yet we're supposed to believe that these this, this guy, yeah, not buying it. I just thought this was insane, man. Mm-hmm. Insane, insane, dude. What uh, he's more intimate, I, George, than I you and be, your than you and your wife. Right? Did you know that? I would be interested to hear. The longer context of the of this this uh, clip, to I'm sure he's to hear what he's talking about. I'm sure he's trying to get men to be uh, feminized. He's trying to get men to be more more gay like. That's my theory. Men don't show like they don't show intimacy in the same way, right? right. Um, we're not girls. We don't need to be girls. But you know, you know that I am a proponent of of men showing affection to their wives. I ask all the men in the church, do you tell your wife you love her, love them every day? Do you hug her every day? Do you give her physical attention, affection, affection every day? But don't try to turn dudes into into girls and gay dudes. You know what I mean? And having it, man. Um, mm. I, I thought it'd be good. He's an ordained teaching elder in the PCA who describes himself as gay. Yeah, he's... The lisp gave it away. Hmm. Why always the lisp? Can you tell me? He's in St. Louis. <clears throat> All right. So <clears throat> if you if you're married and even if you've never had like a three hour long conversation, like when you're when your wife pops a baby out of her, 
and you take the baby, the the like slimy baby up, and like they're wiping it off and give it to you, and you look at your wife, and she looks at you, and then you you know you give her the baby. That's not as good as three hour long conversations. Did you know that? That's not intimate. <clears throat> not meaningful. Yeah. Nor is, you know, the old school traditional. I mean, maybe warning if you put some earmuffs on your kids. <laughs> sex, sex with your wife, as God intended. George, sex, sex with your wife as God intended. Not actually intimate. Did you know that? Mm-hmm. Talking, talking for three hours is more intimate than than having sex with your wife. I just thought you would like to know intimacy according to. Uh, Cocktail man. <laughs> uh, this is quite the uh, this is quite the episode already, Jay. <laughs> Insane world, dude. Like it is. Time for the men to rise up in that church and be like, "This is this is a no go, buddy." Yeah, we should we you should have been gone long ago. Shame on the men that are there. They let it happen. Mm. Hear me. I'm... For All right. The, for oh, the, intro. The, let's get to uh, it. George, you... Okay. George, okay. So now... Okay. We're going into this. Okay. All right. Which you didn't take <laughs> notes on. That's what you said. You didn't take notes on my sermon. Did you take notes on my sermon? Um, no, I didn't. Okay. All right. Well, don't, but, don't, be, don't be shaming me on here, Jay. But I did... Don't shame me on here. But I did make mental notes. Okay. Huh? <laughs> Which are just as good. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, let's. <laughs> well, how do you know I didn't take mental notes? I don't know. I hope. I hope so. It's because I don't re- even remember what passage you started with, Jay. Who knows? <laughs> I don't Who even. Knows? I don't even remember the very, either. very, very last psalm. That's right. That's right. And I read like one yes, verse. You read one one verse, and it was really like just a launching platform because uh-huh. mine's this was a topical sermon, uh-huh. which I'm I am not comfortable doing topical sermons at all. It yeah. is definitely not the my thing. Mm-hmm. So I was like, all right, I got to have at least some text right. to launch us. Mm-hmm. So yeah, okay. Well, um, so your your sermon was on the. Um, imminent Trinity. Mm-hmm. So you're going to have to define what that is because um, unless you're reading really um, kind of technical mm-hmm. theological books, uh, you probably aren't going to run across this, this right. label. So you're going to have to start with um, what do you mean by the imminent Trinity? So we, we talk about the, the transcendence of God. Mm-hmm. We talk about the imminence of God. Not the same. Not the same. Right. Uh, another word would be ontological trinity that okay. is used, uh-huh. and I, that one's almost better because then you can, don't get it confused mm-hmm. with the, the imminent as it is used as far as right. imminent versus transcendence. Ontological being. <clears throat> so it's about the being of God, who God is in himself, apart from creation. Okay. Who was God before there was ever anything? Right. So we believe God is eternal. Who is he as a trinity just in himself? Mm-hmm. Um this is different from economic trinity, which Gunderson preached. That is the trinity as we see working in creation. So all three members of the trinity actually function in the creation of the universe, mm-hmm. but also probably 
what people are more familiar with would be the Trinity in salvation theology. So the Father is the one who elects a people and sends a son. Right. The Son is the one who is sent and dies to redeem a people. The Holy Spirit is the one who then applies the work of Christ to the people in regeneration and carries them through sanctification all the way to glorification. Which is what we see in Ephesians chapter one, mm-hmm. right? We see the economic yep. trinity. Yep, exactly. Okay, so so um, so ontological. This would this would be who God is, whether He ever created or not. Mm-hmm. So before there was anything, there was God. You're right, and He's always been triune, mm-hmm. and He's always. Uh, the persons have always related to each other in a particular way. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now there's, are I mean, you you jumped off from from Psalm one fifty, uh-huh. verse two, um, which reads, "Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness." Right. So the, so the idea is, <clears throat> if God never did a single thing for you. Mm-hmm ever in your life, he'd still be worthy of praise mm-hmm. because he is excellent. Right. He's excellent and worthy and awesome and amazing, and he's worthy of all praise simply for being. Right. So where do we start when we talk about the ontological trinity? Because all we have is um, post-creation, uh-huh. obviously. Um, so where where do we go to uh, to start talking about this? Where, where do we start? Okay, well, you you always got got to start in scripture, and there aren't a ton of verses um, that you can go to. Um, kind of the place that I went uh, to begin to think about this is this question: um, how could it po- how could it be even possible to for Jesus to say in jo- in John sixteen seven? Nevertheless, I tell you the truth: it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. How could that be true? I mean, I think right. if you were just to ask anybody that hasn't studied theology, you would ask them. I mean, before it, maybe they don't even know Jesus said this. If you were to ask poll people, you'd say, "Would you rather have Jesus like here in the podcast with you, right. having coffee?" Or would you rather be indwelled by the Holy Spirit? Which one would be better? Which one's better? Right. Most people are going to say Jesus here, like right. with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but according to Jesus, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. So how? How can he possibly say that? Yeah. It seems like such a, a like imp- and, and can, impossible can, thing. You, to th- you can imagine the disciples hearing him say this. Right. He's he's talking about going away and that it's it's good that I go away and they've been with him for three years and he's been teaching them and, and doing miracles and um now he says it's it's better that I go away than I stay with you and you right. can imagine the um the reaction that the disciples would have had. Right. Yeah. Um so John is a great place to be. Um and to look because he says many other things as we'll we'll kind of look at as we move along and we'll examine. The other thing that I kind of wanted to answer was why there was something rather than nothing, which is a big question. It's a question people have been asking forever, and uh, it's a question that today is being answered by philosophers in a way that's absolutely ridiculous and quite illogical and stupid. They'll just redefine what nothing is. <laughs> right. They'll say, you know, given the law of gravity and enough time, 
universe can and will create itself from nothing. Absolutely preposterous. Mm-hmm. They've just redefined what nothing is. But, you know, going back forever, hum- humans have been asking this question, why is there something rather than nothing? Mm-hmm. And I think eminent trinity answers that question, and it answers the question of how could Jesus say that in John sixteen seven. But it also answers another question: uh, Why is there? Why are people so bored with who God is? You know, I was as I was watching the World Series. World Series is going on as I was like preparing this sermon. Uh-huh. When I say preparing, I mean like preparing for a sermon takes place over not just when you sit down and write it. It's just always in your head. You're always taking little notes, making observations, uh, not just of the Bible, but thinking, observing. World Series going on, you know, uh, National League Championship Series leading up to the World Series. Bryce Harper hits that home run, which the people are saying is the is is like the defining swing of his career. I mean, his career's not over yet. I don't know how they can say that, but it's pretty amazing. And it launches them, you know, to victory, and they go to the World Series, and he hits that home run. I think it was in the eighth, bottom of the eighth inning, and that town goes absolutely berserk. Mm-hmm. Philadelphia goes insane. Yeah. Like everybody is like probably strangers are like embracing each other. You know, right. <laughs> people jump up, they're clapping, yep. and it's totally spontaneous. Mm-hmm. It's it's praise. It's what real praise is. Mm-hmm. They've seen something praiseworthy, and they do what we naturally do. Like we're hardwired for this. People can't help it mm-hmm. when there's something awesome, yeah, extraordinary. Right. But 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 God needs. Help, right? Yeah, I was I was thinking as as you were talking about the the ontological or imminent Trinity, um, trying to uh, to imagine people saying, "Why do we even need this? Like, why do we need to? Why do we need to talk about this? Why do we need to think about this? If there's not a whole lot of you know passages that there, there's nothing that um, just kind of spells it out, right? Um, why do we need this? And I think you you hit on that is we are very utilitarian. Uh-huh. Like if it doesn't if it doesn't affect my life, if it doesn't have any good for me, then why should I bother with it? Mm-hmm. But God is incredible just because He's God, right? And we we should be excited about this and want to know more about it and meditate upon it simply because that's who he is. Right. And he should be worthy of our praise, whether he, you know, quote unquote, does anything for us. Mm-hmm. Right. So this can lead you to, to praise. Um, your praise can be real. Like you don't need the emotional manipulation of lasers or dimmed lights. Mm. We need to dim the lights. We need the music, and right. then we can really be moved in our emotions. And I'm not saying we're not we're emotionless. I don't, I'm not. I'm not saying that at all. Your emotions should be driven by the truth. Mm. So you encounter God as He really is, and your emotions are correct then, and they're moved by the being of God. But it also has tons of applications. Uh, even when it comes to all every doctrine is intersected here and is amplified. This is an amplifier to loving doctrine in a way maybe you didn't before. It's also a comfort to people that are suffering and going through adversity, which in- inevitably everyone will. Um, it's also a 
encouragement, I think, and a um, and a, I don't know the correct word I'm looking for in my mind, but for when, for when someone is discouraged, only Christians get discouraged by their own sin in the way I'm thinking about, mm-hmm. to where it can really be crushing. Um, the imminent Trinity will actually, I think, minister to you and uplift you, mm. um, even out of that, because people, when they, you know, they're they feel ashamed and they begin to wonder all kinds of things about themselves and God. Imminent Trinity is helpful there too. So, I mean, it's the, you might would think this is not practical, yeah. but it's very practical, I think. Mm-hmm. So, um, that's it. Imminent Trinity, yeah. So you you all right? Well, thanks everybody. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So my out, my outline was real simple. <laughs> yeah, you forgot it because I did forget it. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't take as it's, good it's, mental notes. It's mind blowing. Mm. Okay, it's just very simple. Two praiseworthy peculiarities mm. of the image trinity. And I, I thought that was peculiarity is a pecu- peculiar word. Something that only kind of well, it fits perfectly because there is nothing like. Right, God in His being, <laughs> right. So right. everything about Him is peculiar mm-hmm. to Him, you know, except for the, you know, the communicable attributes. But we're talking about these that we're talking about. They're not. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't have this type of of being in ourselves as God does. So it's real easy. I mean, the 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 orthodox formulation that's been handed down to us. You know, we we didn't pop into existence in the last hundred years. Yeah, we stand down the line of uh, faithful Christians for a couple of thousand years, Mm -hmm. and we have these amazing creeds and confessions. Uh, There are many confessions that we've got the uh, Osberg Confession, Lutheran, Westminster Presbyterian, of course, the Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689, but then you have all all these creeds, the Apostles' Creed, Nicene Creed, uh, Chalcedonian, Athanasian, most people are just completely ignorant of those. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. But they contain these truths that we'll be talking about mm-hmm. today. Um, and the simple formulation in these creeds, if you could distill it down into like a very easy to uh, to remember statement about God, and they're in the confessions, is that God, there is one God in three persons, or there is one essence in three persons. Mm-hmm. So that's the outline. The outline are those two points. The imminent trinity is one essence, mm-hmm. and then the imminent trinity is three persons. Okay. So that's it. All right. Well, the the one essence, um, that's that's clearly, I think, stated throughout the scriptures. Mm-hmm. Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what do you... So... We've uh, you've been going through the Trinity with the uh, the teenagers uh-huh. at our church, and you've been dealing with these things. So maybe break down what you mean by essence, okay? Um, and then we can talk about the the persons. Okay, uh, yeah, an essence is what a thing is. Mm-hmm. So my dog has an essence. Everything has an essence or being. Uh, some have said it's the whatness of something. Mm-hmm. So I used my wife as an illustration, and I thought this was hilarious because the only thing people remembered, <laughs> literally the only thing people remembered yeah. about her, George, uh-huh. was that last thing I said at the end. Mm-hmm. You just After you've got all of her great attributes, 
Uh, she's beautiful, blonde hair, blue eyes. There's a lot of ladies like that, though. You know, she's, uh, I've said before, I don't want to offend the more sensitive ladies, but I said she's very useful. She can help me move furniture. <laughs> she can. She's a strong lady. Uh, she's funny, loyal, honest, um, very caring, very empathetic, very patient. She's very good. I mean, she's she's Proverbs 31 woman. She's a great woman. But I can't really honestly distill her essence down. I can't describe it. Yeah, there's there's something that makes her her. And if I like if I know her better than anyone on the earth and I can't describe her essence, yeah. how are we going to talk about God's? Yeah. But the last thing I said is after you get all that, you throw in a little road rage. Mm. And that's literally the only thing that That's the only thing that, that is the, the kid, only that the thing remembered the kids we remembered about, about yeah. the essence of Angie, throwing a little road rage. I'm convinced she's trying to get me uh into a fight in Lawton or shot. <laughs> She's got some kind of plan. I'm like, Angie, we are not in Pratt, Kansas. Uh-huh. All right. So, you got to chill out. Yeah. You got to chill out. Yeah. <laughs> Don't pull out in front of Angie. If you pull out in front of her, uh-huh. George, she will get within an, a half of, <clears throat> in, half of an inch of your bumper, your back bumper. Mm-hmm. She'll let you know do we by getting to, that close. Do we need to do some biblical counseling? Maybe. With your wife? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Everybody's got their flaws. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, you're you're right, though. There's, I mean, there's just something that makes you you. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. So if we struggle in that way to say, what is her essence? Like, if, if she were altered just even a little bit, like, I would know. Mm. Like, you're not going to put in a... You're not going to swap out a cyborg, Angie. Yeah, you know I'll, I'll know, but I can't describe to you. And so God, God's essence, God is even more difficult. Like He's, well, the all the confessions say incomprehensible, right? And that's exactly right. He's incomprehensible. So with the one essence, I think we can we can make some statements though. Um, so he's he's one essence, but there's three persons, and this is where people will run into to trouble, mm-hmm. right? Because um, we either will um, swing too far one way and we become modalist. Yep. Where he's one God and he's just switching out mask. Right. So he's just playing different roles. Mm-hmm. Or we'll swing the other direction and now we have three gods. Yeah. Right. Um, so we've got to we've got to maintain the biblical the biblical truths about this one essence and three persons. Yeah. So there are. There are things within God that are one, even uh-huh. though there's three. Right. So the one essence is, as we'll see when we talk about three persons, this, what we're going to describe, and we can't go through all of these different attributes, but mm-hmm. is shared by all three members of the mm-hmm. Trinity. Right. They all have this one essence fully. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I think people even get that wrong in the way they think about God. So the one essence is, is had or possessed fully by all three. So right. the first place I started was that the one essence is self-existent. Mm. So he, the, the term is aseity, which is a very weird word. Right. So self-existent mm. is, you know, the way regular people talk. He doesn't <laughs> depend on anything for his existence. And the, the, really, the only way we can understand this is by contrast. We depend on everything <laughs> for right. existence. Yeah, right? yeah. He, he has his existence in himself. 
And this is part of his eternality. Mm-hmm. Um, he has no beginning. Right. I mean, he'll have no end, mm-hmm. unlike us. Right. Um, our, our, uh, every, every moment of our existence is one of, of necessity. Right. Of dependence on, on God yes. <laughs> for our existence. But then we have to have food and oxygen and all, you know, the atmosphere and and everything around us, we uh-huh. we are, we are completely dependent on everything, right. right? Yeah. Whereas he and he's dependent on nothing. Yeah. He has this existence in himself. Now, what I th- what I found was absolutely fascinating as I began to look into this was how the Greeks, using reason, got to uh, an i this idea by asking the question: Why is there something rather than nothing? Uh, Romans one is true. Like people can discern that there must be a God. Yeah. Now they can't get to the God of the Bible using human reason alone. It's flawed. That what they'll suppress the truth and unrighteousness and create in their mind all kinds of false gods. Mm. But human reason, that's why I say this is how ridiculous modern philosophers are. Because even the early Greek philosophers, and by that I mean like several hundred years BC around you know, 300 years BC, they were dealing with this question, why is there something rather than nothing? And the various schools debated back and forth about this topic. Can't go through all that entire history. But eventually, you know, Aristotle kind of took the two competing schools and came up with the idea that, yes, everything is changing. Nothing is permanent in the universe. Everything is changing, which means there must be an unchanged first cause of all things. So he kind of reasoned that way. There must be a, an unmoved mover. Now, this this did not look anything like the God of the Bible. But what is what is kind of fascinating is how when Paul arrives in Athens, um, and he, he interacts at the, the place of the philosophers, Mars Hill, people go there to debate all kinds of ideas, and he sees that, he says, you know, I, I see that you are very religious. You even have this altar to the unknown, to an unknown God. Now, Paul is a genius. Right. He, he must know, I mean, he must be very educated, mm-hmm. because the person who had them put that altar to an unknown God was Epimenides, um, and he was a, uh, he was from Crete, He's a Cretan, he's, and he's in the the history of Athens. Athens had a really bad, like, uh, plague, um, and they were making sacrifices to all these gods. Like, Athens has a collection of every god under the sun. Like, that's what they're known for. And none of it would, you know, they they, they weren't delivered. So they're like, they consult the, uh, the oracle of Delph- uh, Delphi, and... She says, go get Epimenides, he'll know what to do. This is as the legend goes. He comes to Athens, and he he says, give me some goats. There's a god you guys don't know about, obviously. Wherever the goats lay down, erect an altar to the unknown god, because whatever you've done has, you know, you've sinned against him. Mm -hmm. And they did that, plague goes away. So apparently, as the story goes... And the people of Athens said, one day someone will show up and tell us about this unknown God. Mm-hmm. So let's keep the altar. Yeah. Paul shows up, and he's like, I'm about to tell you. You're about to get your mind melted. Um, so he quotes Ep- Epimenides. He says, I perceive you're very religious. He quotes 
Epimenides, in him we live and move and have our being. That's a quote from the guy who told him to do the, the thing. He goes on to tell them there's one God, he's the creator of all things. This is in Acts 17, Acts 17, 22 through 28. One God, creator of all things. He doesn't need anything from anyone, so he, he has his existence in himself. Mm-hmm. He's before everything that existed in creation. He, does, he's not served, he doesn't need human hands to serve him like all your gods, like they would take their gods' foods and drink or whatever. It's not like that. He doesn't need anything. In fact, he gives to people everything they have, including when they were born and where they were born, so that they could, find, they could seek him out. Uh, but then he says, in him we live and move and have our being. That he co-ops that uh, statement that was made. It wasn't originally made about the true God, and he makes the statement about reality itself. In him we live and move and have our being. So there's a God who is self-existent as being in himself, to which everyone else who has existence is dependent upon for their existence. So if God, God can't ever not exist, but if he did, everything would just disappear. Mm -hmm. So he is actively upholding the fabric of the universe while not being the universe. That's important. Right. Uh, Because where some of the Greeks went was kind of toward a pantheistic idea, but that's not the God of the Bible. He is not the universe, and yet he upholds every molecule of it. Mm -hmm. The very fabric of reality is upheld by his being. Um. Now, Paul didn't latch on to that idea um, and start to teach it because the Greeks kind of halfway kind of got there. It's because he's a Jew. God revealed himself this way to Moses. When, he, when God revealed himself to Moses in the burning bush, he, he says, who, who, who am I to tell that is sending me? And God says his name. That's the covenant name that we know is I am. I am who I am. And it's derived from the Hebrew word for uh, for being, and I I think that's on purpose. Everyone can say I became. No one can simply say I am. Mm. He exists in himself. The bush even becomes like a symbol of that. Right. The bush is burning. It's not consumed. <laughs> it's not dependent on anything to burn. It's a picture, really, of almost a visual representation of the eternally self-existent God. That's the one essence. The one essence is self-existent. Take a breath (laughs) and drink some water. All right, so um, this this aseity, this um, attribute Uh of of not depending on anything— um, for his own existence, is shared by the three persons. Yes. Right. Exactly. So this would, um, this would destroy Arianism, mm-hmm. right? There's the the son is not a created being. Mm-hmm. He has in himself a deity. Well, that yeah. Well, there was a there was a battle over it though. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We'll yeah. See. There was. Yeah. Um, Again, I don't remember where you went. So I went I don't next. Know, I don't know where. I don't know which direction you uh, you want us to go because I want to. I want to go in a certain direction, but I don't right. Want so, to, so per- don't want to. the next one was perfect. There are tons of verses that talk about God's being mm-hmm. perfect. The rock, all His work is perfect. Like right. He's a perfect being, um, and this plays into another 
we can't spend a lot of time on all of these, but perfection means that everything that God is in himself, he is uh, perfectly. So there's nothing lacking in any of who God is in his being. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is important because a God that would be less than perfect uh, would be uh, terrifying and frightening. Uh, so this, we'll just move a little more qu- quickly. Uh, talk about one that people aren't more familiar with. I think people kind of got the idea of God being perfect, but uh, God being simple. Mm-hmm. The one essence is simple. Right. And this one really confused me for a while. It was tough to get my head around this <coughs> yeah, idea. Yeah, it's... What, yeah, it's you? It, oh, yeah. The, yeah. This is difficult. Um, even after reading books, uh-huh. it's still it's still difficult. But right. I think we can at least grasp a little bit of it. Um, I think so. Uh, first, we have to dis- we have to talk about what we don't mean when mm-hmm. we say God is simple, uh-huh. and then we can talk about what what we do mean. So, um, we th- when we think about simple, we usually think about someone who's not smart, a little slow, right? Or uh, you know what I mean? What, people used to use that term that he's he's just a simple man. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know if it's always intelligence so much as. Um, just not complicated. Right, not complicated, yeah. yeah. So we have a couple of barriers to this idea that God is simple. Um, let's see if I can... I'll describe it, then we'll talk about why it's difficult. So God is not a collection of parts. Mm-hmm. So we don't... God is who he is, what he is in himself, and everything that is in God is God. W- He's not a. You don't add up God. People use Legos sometimes. They say you don't add up God, like collection of Legos, and they're assembled with all these parts, and then you have God. No, He's everything that He is in Himself. So we think complex is better. We tend to think that the more complex something is, the better it is. So, you know, I, I have a tablet right here, incredibly complex. There's more power in this than what p- sent people to the moon. Uh, like way more, and we think, oh, that you know, the more complex something is, the better it has to be. Uh, but that's not um, how we should think about God. God is not made up of parts. He's not a composite of a. He's not a compounded being. I guess is the term theologians use. Yeah, um, I'm trying to. Um... His attributes are his essence. So think of it this way: God said, "God is love." Okay, right. he's not. Uh, and, and so that's that's who he is. He's that fully. He's not partially love. God is faithful. Is another thing that the Bible says God is. God is not part faithful. God is light. He's not part light. So we don't take God as faithful. First um, Corinthians one nine. God is faithful. God is light. First John one five. Or God is love. Four eight. And say okay. We take these partials and we put them together, and now we have God. Right. No, he's he is in his essence love, mm-hmm. fully, light, fully, and faithful. He's not partially faithful. Right. I mean, if God were partially faithful, that would be a little bit terrifying. That means he could get more faithful sometime or less right. faithful. And so that we're gets into the next. so we're um he he's simple we're. We're made up of parts, mm-hmm. and so I, I think a way for us to understand this is, um, you remember when you 
met Angie, mm-hmm. right? And as you got to know her, you fell in love, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you, you started, you started to feel a certain way, right? Um, God's love is not like that. Mm-hmm. Like He doesn't shift between emotions. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have emotions the way that we have emotions. Right. We'll we'll right. get into we'll get into that in immutability. Okay. God can't change. Yeah. But that's part of. I mean, these these things they kind of right go together. Um, yeah. They, well, they all they all do go together. Mm-hmm. Um, so he doesn't he doesn't um, he doesn't shift between these different emotions. He doesn't mm-hmm. he doesn't get angry. Right. Right. You don't. He doesn't. So the the I always keep using this Thanos illustration. I don't know if it's if it's correct theologically or not. It is in my mind, right? <laughs> Thanos is the main bad guy in, uh-huh. in the MCU, and he's already a mega powerful being. Like he's like god level powers, mm-hmm. lowercase g god, in that universe. And so then he has he's collecting these Infinity Stones, and they're all kind of like an attribute of God. Mm. So you know you got the the Space Stone, right. which then gives him the ability to move wherever he wants it's kind of like omnipresence but not really mm-hmm. kind of yeah not really he can yeah. travel he can travel quickly but to one point be, in time he yeah. he, he's never everywhere at the same well time. the ripoff it can never be as good as the original that's right and then there's omnipotence you know he's got unlimited power if he gets the power stone and so you add up all these six stones and he's like god that's god's not composed of components that way mm-hmm. he is in his being all of his attributes. So all of the attributes aren't partial, they're fully God, all of them. Right. Um, and that's hard for us to grasp, and that's what is meant by God being simple. What, whatever is in God is God in his essence, and so all three members of the Trinity share in that one simple essence. That's it. Whatever God possesses, every attribute is God. And that's beyond our ability to comprehend. So if you're like, I don't really understand it, that's okay, because like I said before, this would be like a stick figure trying to <laughs> right. understand what a cube is right? on a, on a two-dimensional plane right? beyond our ability to grasp. Take that and multiply it by infinity, then you have the level of gap between us and God's mm-hmm. simple divine essence. Right. Okay, so uh, a satiety perfection, simplicity, what else you got? Well, immutability is important because we say God is perfect in all of his attributes. Mm-hmm. Um, imagine a God that could turn evil. <laughs> right. That would be absolutely horrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, but God doesn't change. He can't change. Or could, or could just change his mind. Or change his mind. Just change his mind and go back on his promises. Yeah. Go back on his promises. Mm-hmm. I know yeah. I promised you but that if you came to Christ, I'd forgive you. Right. But this time that you sinned was just too much for mm-hmm. me to take. Mm-hmm. So right. uh, I changed my mind. This is like this is like Zeus or you know the the Oh yeah, the capriciousness yeah. of of the the Greek and Roman gods. Yeah, they're real jerks. <laughs> All right. <laughs> they really they really were. Yeah. Um uh, maybe Mal- Malachi three um three, three, six. three six is is the one. Yeah, it's it's uh I the Lord do not change. 
Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. The, the whole reason why um, Israel is not just completely wiped off the face of the planet yeah. is because God doesn't change and he's made, a, he's made a covenant and he's not going to change He's not going to change his mind about that covenant. He's always going to be faithful to that covenant. He's faithful, yeah. Now, you didn't talk about this because obviously it was it was uh, an hour-long sermon. Uh-huh. You can't touch on all of this. But there are, I mean, this is, this is where we could talk about open theism. Right. Um, this idea that, and we've talked about it, we've talked about it some on here, uh-huh. the, the idea that God, um, he doesn't know everything. Right, he does. He doesn't know the future perfectly, and so he has to adapt. Yeah, and there are places where mm-hmm. um, it seems like that's being communicated. Right, uh, uh, Genesis chapter six. He saw the the just the wickedness of humanity, and he regretted making mm-hmm. mankind. Right, right. Or First uh, Samuel uh, fifteen, where Saul rebels against God, and um, God regrets right. that he made Saul king. Uh-huh. Um, but this reminds us that God doesn't change, but we we do have to deal with uh-huh. those passages, yeah. right? Those can be those can be difficult. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, we could even, you know, put Malachi three six uh-huh. next to them and say, well the Bible contradicts right. itself. Uh-huh. Um I think the statement here in Malachi three six is more directly related to um, his essence. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a debate among what God can or cannot do as far as uh, emotions yeah. among Orthodox people. Mm-hmm. I, I tend to I land where Sproul ended up was to say that the one simple divine essence doesn't change, cannot change, cannot be acted upon by anything outside of himself. Mm-hmm. And yet, he's still personal. So when the Bible tells us not to grieve the Holy Spirit, that's not like a trick. Right. <laughs> right. That your sin, as a, as a Christian, you sin against God, you grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, what is God's grief like as far as that goes? We don't know, but God communicated it into in terms that we can understand, mm-hmm. and you know what when someone grieves against you. Right. Now, that doesn't rob God of his essence. There are people that would say that robs God of his essence and his perfection. He's mm-hmm. been acted upon. Well, I'm sorry, but that's how God communicated himself. <laughs> right. To, to say that that's true does not change the fact that God in his essence does not change. Right. Um, so you'll never change God's faithfulness. You'll never, you'll never do anything that could violate the one true essence of God. Mm-hmm. That is something that is mysterious to people. I just, if you're only, if you're going to take the Bible at, at face value, I think that's where you have to go. Yeah, he uh, he doesn't. the 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 best way that I my you know my seminary professor um, communicated was he grieves, but not in the way that we do. Mm-hmm. He. He regrets, quote unquote, regrets, but not in the way that we do. We regret because we didn't see something coming, and we're we're sorry that this that he did. We, we didn't take we, a better course. Yeah, we we wish we would have done something right. different it, or better. But that's not the way that God. That's not that's not what uh, is going on here. Right. That that way, uh, I think, is an expression of how sin is an affront mm-hmm. to the holiness of God. Right. So. 
which we would expect from a perfect being. Mm -hmm. But how exactly? Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right. I mean, what, how would he even... How would he even communicate that to us? Mm -hmm. Well, he has to in ways that we can understand. Right. right. So he condescends to use human language mm -hmm. uh, to us. But we shouldn't think about God as a God who is completely. Some people. This is where I, you know, some people who who subscribe to divine simplicity they go too far. Mm -hmm. What you end up with is explaining away every time God makes a statement like that. Right. We don't have to do that. Yeah, he's not this unfeeling. If, you're, if your theology ever takes you to a place where a regular person can't read the Bible and understand it, you've gone too far. Yeah. You got to back it up. Mm -hmm. You know, you got you to gotta reel that in because we don't want to have this like priestly class of theolog professional theologians telling us things that God said about himself, why they can't be, re why it's not what's right in front of me. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. The one essence can't change. And as you said, Matthew, Malachi 3, 6, James 1, 17, about God, every good and perfect gift comes down from the God, from God, the Father of lights, in whom there's no variation of shadow due to change. He doesn't change. Mm -hmm. um, everything in the universe changes, like literally everything is in constant change. And uh, except for God, he doesn't change. Um, you're not the same person you were when the podcast started. That's what right. I told everybody in there. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> the sermon began, and this this kind of grossed me out and blew my mind at the same time. Yeah. Your skin changes over every tw 27 days. That's, yeah. just a, that's just a disgusting truth, George. Yeah. You've got a skin suit on. It changes every 27 days. A skin suit. I like that, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> you get a new one every 27 days, and that's just nasty. Yeah. All that dust in your house is your own body. <laughs> or the bodies of others. <laughs> yeah, or your your friends that come over. Uh -huh. So everything changes. Um, even even we even change. And this is uh, what I, t I said before, is my wife's been married to three different people, and they're the same man. Because mm. the essence of who I am has changed three times. Right. Before deploying, after deploying, after conversion. Three different essences. You know what I mean? Uh, but not God. Right. I've God got never a, changes. You got something you're going to show? Uh, it's just Spurgeon. Consider what you owe to his immutability, though you have changed a thousand times. He has not changed once. Yep. Mm -hmm. We don't think about his immutability. I mean, that's, that's not... Um, that's not... You don't hear a lot of sermons on the unchangeableness of God, uh -huh. and yet that holds out so much hope for us. Right. Um, and we'll get to it in, in Hebrews 13. Yeah, yeah. And so not only uh, is God self-existent, perfect, uh, never changes. Mm. Did I skip one? I think I did. Uh, but we're moving on. The one <laughs> essence is timeless. <laughs> yeah. Oh, simple, simple. Uh -huh. The one essence is timeless. Mm. Um, and timeless is a little different way of thinking about eternality. God is eternal, we get that, but to be timeless is different. Uh, and I think does have practical and uh, even like pastoral benefits and implications. So we we are of the group that holds that God knows everything because he has decreed everything. Mm. So before the foundation of the world, he's already decreed everything. Right. Uh, sidebar, no, we don't believe that you're a robot. 
Now, I'd really love to to have a, de- a front, very, very, very friendly debate. There's a guy in uh, down in Vernon, Texas, that keeps <laughs> posting all this stuff. That's like between <laughs> between you and him. I don't think there would be a friendly debate, Jay. <laughs> oh no, I could keep it. I could keep it friendly, George. Uh, I'm I'm not so worried about you. Really? Yeah. You th- you think you think he would get kind of crazy? Maybe. Huh. What if I stare at him really hard? In your uh, militant Calvinist, you think he would reel it in? I don't know. Hmm. Um. Yeah. Anyway, I we don't believe that that makes you a robot. Mm-hmm. Um, we definitely don't believe God looks down through the corridor of time. I mean, Isaiah forty six ten tells us God declares the end from the beginning. He declared it, the, he, and that would that would touch upon his immutability mm-hmm. um, and his aseity. Really, I mean, right. he he would depend on what we do in the future. No matter how you look at it, the the looking down through the corridor of time touches on some of these these attributes. Oh, omniscience. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, he he uh, he would depend upon what we do in the future in order for him to act because that's yes. what they say. Like he he looks down the corridor of time, he sees how we'll respond, and then he elects. Right? Yeah. He, you know, he w- uh, that he, that's a dependent God on. He'd be mutable. Yeah. He'd be acted upon. Right. By by us, um, yeah. but he's not. Um, he's omniscient because he decreed everything. Mm-hmm. But also, we should consider how his omniscience. As you just hinted at, his omnipresence, his immutability, and timelessness—they're all—they're all interconnected. Mm-hmm. Um, because he's immutable, he can't be acted upon by time. There are some people who believe God is in time, like we are, mm-hmm. passing through it. Mm-hmm. Of this group, would be the open theist. Right. That's a major error mm-hmm. because now not only does God not know everything, well, now he's being acted upon by something outside of himself time he's riding through time with us um, and he they also say he's learning he's, he's learning he's it's process theology he's right. in the process of becoming um which means that he's he's looking back and he can't have regret i right. wish i would have done this a little bit differently yeah but because he's immutable and he's timeless it means he observes time it, he, he observes every moment in time mm-hmm. at the same time. Right. So we're here in this moment in time, uh, but God's in every moment in etern- all the way back to the beginning and all the way to the future, to the new heaven and the new earth. He's in every single moment at the same time. Yeah, I like the way C.S. Lewis talks about it in Mere Christianity. He says, um, say you have a, a sheet of paper and you can draw points uh-huh. on that sheet of paper if you were living on the, you know, if you were a, a bug on the paper, you could see one point and mm-hmm. you could walk to a next point, but you, you're you're just in that, yeah, that, on that point. But the the person who has the paper sees the whole thing. He sees mm-hmm. all the points at once, right? Um, and that's uh, it's a de- it's a decent one to help yeah. us to, to grasp how he could right. See, but but I'll make the make the argument even further, and I'll say omnipresence implies that he's actually not just observing all of that; he's, he's in it. it. He's actually mm. in yeah. it. Okay. So he's in every moment in time, in all his being, mm. fully. So not just like in space, but right. you know, in the molecules that make up this desk, God's there in his full being. So you're uh, you you saying that? How do we? How do we? Um 
in a, I don't know if we can do it in a, a simple way. How do we distinguish that from panentheism? Mm-hmm. That God is God is the universe is in everything, and uh, He is everything. How, right. how do we how do we distinguish that? Because I, I I agree. I mean, God to be omnipresent means that He is everywhere. Omnipresent, He's everywhere, everywhere right? Yeah, um, and He's there in His fullness. Uh-huh. So how do we how do, how can we distinguish that? Is there a, a way that we can do that? Right. I in, think, in case you know, mm-hmm. in case somebody talks to like a Hindu. Yeah. Right. So God spoke the universe into existence. Uh-huh. Um, it is not himself. And yet he upholds the fabric of reality by being present in every point. So you can go if we ever could develop sensitive enough instruments to go even beyond like quarks and stuff that you know they're looking at now. You're never going to get to a point where you're like, oh look, there's the fabric of God. <laughs> He's actually what's uh, uh-huh. he's actually in the creation itself, mm. uh, like a material. Mm. He's not. He's separate from everything. He's not creation. Creation is not God, and yet he is the the grounding. That's what philosophers would call it. He's the grounding of all being. Mm. That's it. Okay. So he's separate from creation. Imminent and transcendent at the same time. We're t- again, we're talking about God, God stuff here. The, by now, you should be going. You know what? God's greater than ever. I imagine. <laughs> right. Like we create these really stupid gods. Uh-huh. Oh, Zeus throws lightning bolts. Oh, he's really powerful. Wow. Yeah. Like this God is not mm-hmm. that. Right. He's beyond. <laughs> he's beyond so, anything. So I'm. Uh, I'm reading. I'm, I like reading fantasy novels. Um, I'm reading. The series of fantasy novels right now, but it's it's written by a Mormon, mm. um, and at the end of of this series, um, this this guy he transcends and becomes a god. Mm. Um, when I was first reading it, I was like, I don't, I don't know who this, I don't know like anything about this author. But this sounds like Mormonism, and so I went and looked him up, and he he teaches uh, he teaches uh, writing at BYU. Uh, <laughs> I was like, he snuck in a little hey, Mormonism. Hey, hey, uh, he's he's his fantasy is being is being influenced by his yeah. his religion, and uh, this you know this God is uh, he's not great. He's super <laughs> <laughs> like he doesn't know everything. You can hide from him. Um, he gets distracted. He's super pathetic. Um, yeah, he's he's not um, he's he can manipulate people to do things, but he can't actually like he's not powerful. Right. Um, now again, it's fantasy. It's fantasy novels. It's so. like Loki, you know, where Hulk smashes him around <laughs> right. and says, "Puny God." Uh-huh. All right. Yeah. He didn't get the message. Yeah. So remember, he stepped to Thanos, uh-huh. and he told Thanos, "You'll never be a god." Right. And he just crushed his neck. Yeah, with yeah, one squeeze of uh-huh. his hand. Right. Threw him on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God. God is. Uh, he's not pathetic, right. and that's why I said people don't praise. Like they're they're bored with God because they have a boring, pathetic God. Yeah. The uh, you know, the latest Thor movie has Gore the God Butcher, uh-huh. and the reason why he wants to kill all the gods is because the gods are selfish. Yeah, and they they can be killed. Right. Um, yeah. If uh, if these were the gods. <laughs> of reality i could see someone wanting to kill them right uh but that's not the god of of the bible he's not um 
He's he's right. not he's not like any any work of fiction. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't come up with this god, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, there are verses we're not bringing them all out, but Revelation one eight, I am the Alpha and the Omega. Just in that, I mean, what is implied that mm-hmm. he's the first and the last. I mean, there's there's then he says who is and who was and who is to come. Who can be who is and was and is to come at the same time? Right. Only God. Mm-hmm. Mind blowing. So yeah. there's one last one that I mean there there are others we could go, but right. you talking about the selfish gods and then being mad at these gods and wanting to kill them and stuff. And the last one is that God is happy. Mm. And I think this is an important one that people get is God this is how God reveals himself too. Um and he doesn't need to do it everywhere, but it's clear in First Timothy one eleven and in First Timothy six, fourteen through sixteen that um, he's called the blessed God, and not that God is blessed like, you know, God would bless us, right. is that, that that word means to be happy uh-huh. in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God. And then Jesus is called the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, the happy, the happy sovereign, the happy God. That was Joshua's first message at the first conference we ever did. Mm-hmm. Was it six years ago? Yeah. Yeah, uh, I, and I really enjoyed that. But the per- he's perfect, he, you know, he's self-existent, perfect, simple. All of these things we've already talked about. And the last one, if you didn't have it, it would be totally different. He's happy in himself, eternally happy. Yeah, And that's great news. Because unlike Aristotle's prime mover, who is not personal and not happy, or even uh, Muhammad, who's a monad, how could you say this God is happy in himself or that this God is love? You can't do that, mm-hmm. but you can of our God. Yeah, he, Our God is happy, and out of the overflow of his happiness, I believe, comes creation. Right. Yeah, this is, uh, I think, again, this touches upon his aseity. He doesn't need... The way that a lot of Christians talk about God is that he needs us in order to be happy, mm-hmm. or he wants to feel loved. Right. And so he creates humanity, and then they try to get around sovereignty, right? Um, because he wants us to love him freely, um, and uh, it's like something that he needs, right? Right? Yeah. Um, he's he's this needy God, right? Yeah, God didn't create because he needed our love. Like, right. So this is one of the this is intertwined with the problem of evil. Mm-hmm. This next part, but I'm going to tell you why is there something rather than nothing. Yeah. Because God is happy. Uh, this being, self-existent being, exists, and he's happy. And he creates for his own glory, which sounds selfish, but isn't selfish. This is key, too, to this. People answer the problem of evil, and they say, well, the problem of evil is, is that you know there's free will. God wants us to have free will, because there can't be real love unless there's a real choice. Mm-hmm. There's got to be freedom for you to actually love, and that's what God wanted. Right. He wanted people... To, f- to freely choose him and love him. And while that sounds good in human reasoning, that implies that God's lacking something. Mm-hmm. And it could imply that God is selfish, I think, mm. that he wants you to love him. Mm. Um, but if the reverse is true, that God is an eternally self-giving being, happy in himself to create for his own glory, is not actually selfish... Jonathan Edwards worked all of this out. I mean, you can read it in his like 
little masterpiece, the end for which God created the world. Um, God's glory is actually tied to our best good. Mm. So for God to create and to reveal himself and to seek his own glory is actually to seek the best in his creatures. Right. So he's seeking your best, and your best is to behold him in his glory. Mm-hmm. And so the universe then, this kind of, I think, helps to explain simplicity a a little bit maybe. Like, we can't take the full blast of God's glory. You can't do it. It's impossible. You can't behold him in all of his perfections all at the same time. It can't be done. So the universe becomes, and creation itself becomes... Like the way that, you know, when God created the rainbow and the light refl- refracted and you see all the colors, creation is like that for God's attributes, for the one essence. And that is fully and most realized at the cross. Um, so why is there something rather than nothing? Because God is love and happy in himself, and he wants the best for you. Mm. That's my that's my, that's my answer anyway. Yeah. And I think it's I think it's the only one you can really get to biblically. Mm-hmm. We don't have time to go into great detail on all of that. Um, but God being happy is is really good news, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's just the one essence. And yeah, here we it's are, just one, one hour, essence. Nine minutes in. <laughs> the Trinity doesn't. We don't need as much time. On we're it. Uh, we're we, not gonna we're not gonna have a free for all next week. So we got to tide tide people over. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, didn't, so. I forgot about that. Yeah. Um, so we can go a little bit longer. It's all right. Yeah. Um, Okay, his happiness, um, it really... Well, I'll read this, just in case you're not convinced. Romans 11, (laughs) the Bible's filled with these verses, okay, before we go on to the three persons. Uh Romans 3, uh, Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how how inscrutable are his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been his counselor? By now you ought to be going, yeah, I get what he's saying. Mm -hmm. Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Everything exists for God. Right. It could be no other way. Mm -hmm. Or he is not the being we just talked about. Right. And in Colossians, same thing is said to be true of Jesus. Mm -hmm. The very same thing. Right. All created by him and for him. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Revelation 4 has mm. the same idea. Yep. Right. Um, okay. Well, uh, that's the one essence, mm-hmm. right? Um, but this one essence. One God. Eternally. You can, if you want to shift that word essence and put in one God, mm-hmm. that's fine now. Right. One God. Eternally exists in three persons. Yeah. And all of these things... That, that we just that talked, we talked about. about. They all are attributes of all three persons mm-hmm. fully. Fully. Not in part. Right. So not one God and three gods, which mm-hmm. people say this is a contradiction. Right. If you if you were to say, we believe in one God and three gods, they would be right. Mm. Or if you said, we believe in one being and three beings, you you would they would be right too. That's a contradiction. But one God, three persons, mm-hmm. is not a contradiction. Right. Um and so, as you said, they each share in the one essence fully. Um, 
and they don't each have they don't each compose a part of the one essence right so that, not uh, mm-hmm. it's not it's not voltron right right that's the yeah partialism and and you can't you when we were talking with the kids yeah. you said yeah it's, it's it's like voltron it's not voltron where the the father the son the spirit they come together and form one god so each is just one third they assemble of God or the power? Did the Power Rangers do that too? Power Rangers do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> You're not a fan of the the, the Power Rangers, huh? I could tell by your face. <laughs> well, I was trying to think of something else, but I, I, I'm sure there's others. Um, but it, the Transformers—that's Transformers, what I was thinking yeah. of. The yeah, um, yeah. They, so they don't come together and form one God, right? Um, they each are the essence fully, fully God, right? Right. Yeah, um, and this has this has some some theological implications. Yeah, uh, yeah, that flow yeah. out of this. Oh yeah, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. So that keep that in mind. But the other mistake people make is that they well, they become tritheist. Mm-hmm. Right. They say, well, the one they, they're all fully God. There's three gods. That's not what we're saying either. Right. Or it's not what Christians have been saying. Or and they're not modalist. We've talked about that before. Uh-huh, right. Just changing outfits, changing right. clothes. It's just one God. There's not really a Father, Son, and Spirit. Just like different roles He puts on. Right. If if the if history was a play. So these three persons, one essence. Um. So this would mean that there's one mind. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Because if there's three minds, this, this so the, here's the problem though is we take what we know of person personhood, mm-hmm. right, and we then impose it upon God, right. We can't do that because mm-hmm. if you do that, you end up with three gods, right. So if there are three centers of wi- a consciousness mm-hmm. or willing minds, you know, however you want to say it, you've got three gods now, right. That's tough to wrap your head around. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm wondering if we want to talk a little bit about eternal functional subordination here. Um, we can. Yeah, we're getting ready to jump jump into it. Uh huh. Um, not sure. How yeah, much, we can. Yeah, I, we I'm can. I'm not sure how much we want yeah. to or where or where yeah, we want to talk about. Yeah, centers of consciousness. It. The other one would Cause be because we, we've got we've got one mind, one will. Right. Right, so um, we, we can talk about it a little bit. Okay, so and, and kind of the implications of, yeah. of eternal functional subordination, which right. this is a big controversy mm-hmm. now. Um, you've got big name, big big name theologians on both sides mm-hmm. um, lobbying right. <laughs> lobbying attacks right. at each other. Yeah, so uh, I think what happens, and I have to read more. Of their their actual writings to really get a hold of it, so mm-hmm. I don't really want to misrepresent them. Right. But kind of what I'm picking up on is that those people that believe in eternal functional subordination. So let's let's define that first, because um, even um, talking to people just in our church, they're like, I hear what is this, that? I hear this being thrown around. What is this? Right. So let's define it before we go any further. So, so we we talk about. EFS, it's also called ESS. Right. And I think there's another term that they've started using, but I can't remember what it is. Um, but EFS, eternal functional subordination. Um, ESS is the eternal subordination of the sun. Is that, right. Is that right? 
Mm-hmm. Okay. There's yeah. there's another term I think that that they've started using. I, I can't remember what it is. Um, I don't have my Bible on me, but can you go to John? I think it's John in four, John fourteen. Uh huh. Um, I left my Bible by my chair this morning where I was reading. Um, John fourteen. I, think, I don't have any notes. You don't have a Bible. Uh, it's it's all good. Yeah. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what do we got? I think John? it's somewhere around John 14, 20, 28. Jesus says, um, the father that sent me is greater than I. Something to this effect? Um, yeah. Uh-huh. It's, uh, well, it doesn't say he's... 28 is, you've heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the father for the father is greater than I. There you go. Yeah. All right. He'll he'll say similar things to that throughout mm-hmm. John's gospel. Right. So they'll say, look, hey, there it is. And you see that Jesus only does the will of his Father. Mm-hmm. Um, so what, what kind of I think they do is they'll take the economic trinity, which is very clear. As Jesus comes, he is submitted to the will of his Father, um, and he is being obedient all the way to death, mm-hmm. even death on a cross, the, right. o- the obedience living as a true man, truly man, um, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, they would then go backwards uh-huh. and say that... Uh, and, well, they'll, I think they'll also take some of Paul's uh, letters, we'll say that the head of right. every, every, every... Every woman, woman is, is, is the man. Hu- is the man, uh-huh. and the head of every man is Christ. The head of Christ is God. Right. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. And so they'll take that and put it into who God is before there was creation. Right, right. Um, and so they'll say, look, you know, um, and, I, and I agree with the argument as far as <clears throat> women submitting to men or their husbands, because our women don't submit to every man. When, you know, women submit to their husbands, and that's not a bad thing. It doesn't make them less than right. at that's, all. And that's, um, that's, that's kind of where the... The application lies. It's right. the the EFS is usually held by strong complementarians, uh-huh. um, which were complementarians. Yeah, um, and they use it as see the son submits to the father, and yet they're still equal. Yes. So they're they're not they're not trying to uh, say that the son is less than God. Uh-huh. They're saying within the Trinity there is submission between the, fa- the between the son and the father. Um, and in the same way, husband and wife are are equal image bearers. The the man is not somehow superior ontologically right. from the the wife, mm-hmm. but there's still subordination. There's still the husband is the head and the the wife right. submits. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where the the application usually is. Right. Right. Yep. That's right. And I would agree that because Paul uses. Mm-hmm. Christ and God as right. illustrations for us as to uh, you know subordinate being subordinate or uh-huh. submitting right submission to the other is not weakness mm-hmm. uh, it's really service and is a good thing mm-hmm. um, and so is love like goes the other direction so um, the only issue I think that I would have with it is to say that this is eternally. Right. Who God is that the Son is eternally subordinate. Yeah, he's he's using the language of the head of Christ is God. Mm-hmm. Um, Christ is 
Messiah. It's not a name, it's a title. The anointed. Right. <laughs> it's it's Messiah it's the Messiah. Mm-hmm. Right. It's an office. Mm-hmm. Um when we say Jesus Christ, it, it, that's not his last name. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. It's it's his title. He's Jesus the Christ. Right. Um and when we think of the uh, eternal son, I, I think it it can be a little it can be a little confusing, I guess, if you've never heard it before. But there is a distinction between the eternal son and the Christ, right? Right. Yeah. Um. He's he is eternally the second person of the Trinity. He's eternally the Son, but it's not until his incarnation that he takes on the role of Christ. Right. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Um, so there is a there there is a, a a distinction that that needs to be made. Nor does he have the name Jesus. Right. He's until not, he's born. Yeah. He's yeah. That's the name he's given at his birth. <laughs> right. That's not that's not his name in eternity past. Mm-hmm. Right. It will be his name for eternity what's future. His, what's his name in the Old Testament, George? Uh, well, what do they I mean, call him? He's called the Angel of the Lord. Yeah. Um, or just. He's just called Yahweh, commander of um, but there's the, the host of the but there's Lord. distinctions in the person. Um, but the office of Christ is at his incarnation. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, um, you so it. when we when we're we're hearing these uh, these submission um, verses in the New Testament, we ha- we have to make that distinction. Right. Yeah. Yeah. In the Old Old Testament, you brought up the idea that he was called the Word. Mm-hmm. So in the beginning, just John one. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Mm-hmm. So you have here two persons. You can't be with someone if you're not, a, if, you know, persons are with each other. Yeah. Um, he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him and apart from him. Nothing came into being that has come into being. Right. I like the NASB for that reason. Mm-hmm. It captures a little bit better uh, the idea of kind of what we've been talking about. Uh, but then as you continue, there is... Um, well, Jay, I hate to... Uh, what, do you, what are you going to do now? Trying to, so so I'm verse trying, 18. I'm, I'm trying to look at the, uh, at the ESV. I can't remember who was head of the ESV translating committee. I don't know. Uh, but there... Uh, I know that there were EFS people that were. Uh oh! <laughs> All right, <laughs> not to. You gonna you gonna go down a conspiracy yeah, rabbit yeah. hole? Yeah. Well, I, I, verse yeah. eight, verse eighteen of John's prologue. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God, who is in the bosom of the Father, He has explained Him mm. a lot. A lot packed into that verse. Yeah. NSB also captures uh, closer to the original. I think John three sixteen that for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. So the idea is not that. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves. We Back are. to eternal, <laughs> eternal functional subordination. For that to be true would mean that for all eternity the Son has been subordinate, and I don't just I don't think you can get there um, because that subordinationism does imply lesser. And I don't think that that fits in with the orthodox formulations that we see uh, of the Trinity um, 
I think it's going backwards from economic and uh, or even our own understanding of uh, subordination and and then saying this is who he is eternally. Mm. Now, I do think that who God is in his being, we do see God acting in creation in ways that fit with things that are peculiar about each person. Mm-hmm. Um, but we should talk about, if, if you're not an EFSer, what has historically people said is the thing that, uh, the only thing that distinguishes the persons, right? It's, it's uh, not centers of will, centers of consciousness, or you become a tritheist. Um, it's what's called eternal relations of origin, and that all that is is you'll understand when we spell it out, you'll kind of get it. The Father is the one who begets a Son. The Son is the one who is begotten. The Spirit is the one who proceeds from the Father and the Son. Mm. So the question is, is there any like do we have any Bible verses for that? So the Father begets a Son eternally. Um, he has paternity. The Father Himself unbegotten. The key word being eternally. Right. Um, the very same essence as the Father. The fa- what? So begetting is to come forth from. Like we understand that there was no there. There was never a time when the Son did not come from the Father. He was where he was not begotten. Mm-hmm. So it's an eternal begetting. Right. It's tough for us because we go again. We go backwards from our experience. Right. God's using human language to help us understand. But I begat a son, you begat a son. Mm-hmm. They're mostly our same essence. Yeah. That gets that'll get into another controversy. <laughs> but there was a time when they they were came into being. Right. When their begetting started, not the son. Mm-hmm. The eternal the son is eternal. He has is the one essence, which means his begetting is eternal. Mm-hmm. He's always come forth from from the father. Right. So you can't be a father unless you have a son. So eternally, God is a father. Some people have kind of described this as a fountain, and that's okay. I mean, all these illustrations will fail eventually when you break down, but you could think of a fountain that's been on forever. The water has eternally sprung forth. Yeah. And that is like God. The father has eternally sprung forth the son. There you go. We have to... to, um be really careful with our language, mm-hmm. right? And not go beyond what the the scriptures yeah. um, tell us. I mean, we're we're we are thinking about things that are far beyond us, right? Um, so I, I think that it it just um, caution, yeah, caution is is right. what we need to to have. Yeah, and the and it, it's not irrelevant either. Some people think this is this is some. Uh, the stuff right here, I don't, I don't get how it immediately can impact. John three sixteen is a prime example. Yeah, people, I think, accidentally read that that God so loved the world that He decided to incarnate Jesus and have a son. Mm-hmm. But the text says He gave His only begotten Son, so He already had a son. Yeah, and then He gave that son. Right. Uh, I think that's. I, I think there's a um, distinction in Isaiah chapter nine mm-hmm. um, unto us. A child is born unto us. A son is given. Mm. So I think that there's there is um, a distinction even there. That, That's good. That the the child is born, but the son 
is given is yeah. given. He's he's eternally the son, and he's been given. Yeah, that's a good observation. So that's good. Um, but we we just have to be careful. Yeah. Um, and um, well, I mean, it's it's just a big right. it's just a big debate now in the evangelical world, right? Um, people on on both sides. Yeah, they're of this. I think they're they're good. They're good people on both sides. And I think that there can be some uncharitable accusations, um, right? You know, I, I don't think that um, Wayne Grudem is like an Aryan, right? <laughs> you know? Is Don Don Carson fall? Does he fall here? I can't remember. I don't know where I don't know where D. A. Carson falls. Uh, but Bruce Ware, Owen Strayan, they're they're on the EFS side. Uh huh. Um. Yeah, those are the the biggest names I know. I'm not. I'm really not sure where James White falls because he's he's friends with Owen Strayan, but I don't know. I don't think he is. I don't. Think I would. He assu- is. I would assume that he's not an EFS guy. Yeah, I don't but, know. Um, I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. So then the sun. What's the son's eternal relation of origin? It's to be begotten eternally. Mm-hmm. So the son is eternally begotten from the father of the very same essence of the father. That's very important. Eternally, the same essence from the father. Begotten, not made. That's what we see in the creeds. Mm-hmm. And this is the the very heart of the theological battle at Nicaea in 325 AD. Mm-hmm. That council was not about creating the Bible, right. which is what... People people bring it up all the time. I mean, it's like, where did it even come from? I don't even know. It's like, I'll tell you what. Yeah. It's like it's like the Q conspiracy for people who uh, hate God and don't want to read the Bible. Interesting enough, even Bar Ehrman, who is an atheist, yeah, um, and a, an outspoken opponent of Christianity, even he is like. That's not what they were discussing at Nicaea. No, they weren't. They weren't talking about the formulation of the Bible at, at Nicaea. Yeah, the heart of the battle is um, who is is Jesus? Mm-hmm. Who is he in his being? Right, because of Arius. Yeah, Arius, Arius is going around mm-hmm. teaching that Jesus is a created being. Yep, yep. So those are the two main sides. You, you know, there are more people involved, but there's Arius and there's Athanasius. Mm. Uh, Athanasius of Alexandria. So Arius's argument is like, okay, look. I'm trying to use the Bible too, like you guys, but here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus is of like essence, similar essence, uh, homo, homoi, homoiousios, mm-hmm. um, of like essence of the Father. But there was a time he came into being, right. and then he created everything. Mm-hmm. So, so Jesus, the second person, did create everything, but he's of like essence of the Father, not not of the same essence. Right. And that those heresies are still around today. They still linger. Um, Athanasius, his side, um, anyways, they said, no, he's of the very essence. Mm-hmm. Eternally begotten, not made, the very essence. Yeah. And the, diff- the difference is one letter. Yeah, it's an it's I, homo, uh-huh. homoousius. Yeah, Instead right of homoousius, homoousius. Mm-hmm. One, one letter. Yeah. The doctrine hangs up, hangs upon it, but the difference is very, very large. You know, Nicholas was there. Oh, Saint Nicholas! Saint yeah, Saint Nicholas was there. He yeah. gave him a he gave him a slap. Yeah, yeah, that's that's what the story is that he uh, 
Arius got up and started singing a little jingle. Yeah. Because Arius, he knows it, it. He knows the same thing that people for millennia know that if you want to teach something, do it through song. Mm-hmm. And so Arius and his followers they they came up with little songs that taught taught uh, that Jesus was a created being, and uh, he started the story anyway goes that he he broke out in his little jingle and mm. and uh old saint nick gave him more more than <laughs> more than just some coal in his stocking <laughs> uh because uh saint nicholas he believed in ho 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 yeah he ho, did yeah, yeah. Saint, nick, <laughs> yeah, saint nick don't yeah play. uh he was a he was a proponent of orthodox he tested that assumption theology. at his earliest convenience <laughs> <laughs> and he found out. He found out. That's yeah. you know. I think I think maybe that's old old cocktail man. He might need a visit visit from Saint Nicholas. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Jesus and they and you know this side won and it was uh, put into the Nicene Creed and then later other creeds as well and most clearly probably spelled out in Athanasian Creed I guess. Um, but Jesus says this. He'll make statements that affirm this, that you've got to really grapple with. Mm-hmm. John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. Right. <laughs> Who can say that? Mm-hmm. Like, you can't say that unless you are the very same essence. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, mind, that's mind-blowing stuff. Yeah. Of course, they would have been triggered because that's like robbing the Shema. Right. Like if you if you think Jesus is a fraud, you think he's robbed the Shema. But he's literally saying, "Look, this what you say, that's me. Yeah, that's me." Uh, but then there's the Spirit. Um, we don't want to forget about the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like many times we do. You know, the Spirit proceeds. That's well. There's the. I, I mean, I can't say for I can't speak for every reformed. Baptist or Presbyterian, but I think it's the um, the abuse of the Holy Spirit that we mm-hmm. kind of push back and we end up going too far the other direction, right? Which is a shame because um, I think you said it in your not in this sermon but in your other sermon mm-hmm. that we believe that without the Holy Spirit there is no salvation because He's the one that has to uh, regenerate. Yeah, it's it, it's quite amazing to me actually mm-hmm. that. Reformed people couldn't be known as like the Holy Spirit people, right? Yeah, like we literally. It's because, it's because the the we we've just gotten so far away from who the Holy Spirit actually is in the Bible. To well, you you got to get you got to get some of that Holy Spirit. You got to you know Holy Spirit activate, right? Yeah, the <laughs> Holy Spirit activate. Then later. you uh, you start you know speaking in gibberish and rolling around on the floor and running around, rolling. You know, that's. I think that's where we, our understanding of the Holy Spirit isn't sensational enough for a lot of a lot of people. Right. Um, you got to have these weird manifestations, right, in order for it to be, yeah, you know, powerful. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Holy Spirit, He brings dead people back to life. Yeah, that that should be, you know, amazing enough. Yeah, it, it, it. We'll talk about that here in a couple of weeks when we talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But 
these words are important that we're going to use. The Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son eternally. Another word is spirated, mm. as as in breathed out. Mm. So he's not another son where he's another begotten that comes from the Father like that. No, he proceeds from. And, you know, this is... Does he proceed from the Father only? That's what the Eastern Orthodox say. Uh-huh. That's their big argument. The split between the East and the West happened over this. The filioque, the yeah. filioque clause. And the, and the West, in which we'd fall into the, this belief that the Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. What an interesting reason for a, for a church split. I'm guessing there was a th- other authority things behind it. I'm sure there was. Yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, the authority of the, the, the Bishop Roman. of Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember... I was in seminary, so this had to have been 12, 13 years ago. Um, the Pope visited, where did he visit? He visited America. And my, uh, my Old Testament professor, he, uh, he said that he saw um, some, some video of it, and some guy was standing there with a, uh, with a sign uh-huh. that said, um, something like, get rid of the filioque clause or something like uh, that. <laughs> it was just interesting uh, because I doubt if uh, if a lot of Christians even know why there is a split between the right. the East and the West. Yeah. I mean, they're, so yeah, the, the, uh, the spirit proceeding and or being, and being sent from the father and the son, Jesus says he'll send another helper. Spirit proceeds. John 15, 26 is where the actual, the word proceeds is used. Um, John 20, uh, Jesus sends his disciples into the world, and then he he says, as the Father sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them, like he like blows out, like breathes out on his disciples, uh-huh. you know, receive the Holy Spirit. And, you know, even when I was studying John, I was like, that is, it's so, it seems, it's such a strange thing. We think, well, maybe that's a cultural, but that's not. Like there's nothing cultural in the background about for somebody breathing, breathing, somebody. <laughs> breathing out on somebody. Like <laughs> this isn't a, some type of anointing we haven't heard of before. Right. It's a it's a uh, illustration. Yeah, he's giving them a living illustration of what's been true all along mm-hmm. that the Father and the Son breathe out the Spirit. Yeah, Spirit is spirit. It's Genesis. It's Genesis two, right? Yeah. Yes. It's Genesis two. Uh, breathing life into Adam, and interestingly enough, the word for inspiration, the scriptures are inspired. Mm. Well, what does that mean? It means that God has breathed into these uh, apostles and disciples mm. the Spirit, and they write the words of God, yeah. but not a force, a person, right? another person. Right. The Holy Spirit is called God. Um, he's grieved. Um, the word he is used by Jesus it forces aren't he's. Um, he is also um, when Ananias dies, he says, yeah. "You didn't. You didn't just lie to mm-hmm. man. You lied to God. Yep. You lied to the Holy Spirit." So, mm-hmm. number of verses. So not a not a force. And uh, this is a person who has the complete mm-hmm. essence. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. One more. I think there's one more thing to talk about. That is, oh my goodness, George. This is a double episode, my it friend. It is, yeah. I, might, I don't want to cut it in half and upload it because it will take like <laughs> eight hours to upload if I do that. Yeah. I'm just going to upload all of it at once. All right. 
there's uh, what's called mutual indwelling. Mm-hmm. So not only do the three possess uh, fully the essence, but the three indwell each other fully. And this is um, this this is important, mm-hmm. and I think that we've really gotten away from it um, because we've got the you know ask Jesus into your heart, right? Well, you're asking just one person, yeah, right. in the Trinity, or you're filled with the Spirit, mm-hmm. and that this what you what you're going to talk about is um, I think really important for us to to be reminded of. Yeah. Or to be taught if you've never been taught it before. Yeah. I know for a while, I think even, you know, when I, you think about your relationship with God, you think, well, you know, the Holy Spirit regenerated me and, and Jesus says that the Holy Spirit, you know, is, is in us. We're indwelled by the Holy Spirit. And that's true. But because we don't have this doctrine down, maybe because it's not spelled out explicitly, but it is in the Bible, where we, we miss it. Um, but this doctrine of mutual indwelling, mutual indwelling again, is that each person of the Trinity fully indwells the other. So the Father indwells the Son, the Son indwells the Father, the Spirit indwells Father and the Son, and all the possible combinations. And this keeps us from tritheism, right? Right. Yeah. Like it's one. He he is one God. Right. And I didn't even get into the working. Everything you know, when when one member of the Trinity works, all are involved. Right. The one essence is fully involved. Mm. Um, yeah, I've I've uh, I've been asked, you know, who who raised Jesus from the dead? Because in one place you'll read that the Father raised him. Another place says the Spirit raised him. Mm-hmm. Another place he rose. Right. Right. Um, Yes. Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the, if well, here's one Bible verse that I think makes it pretty clear. And it's very, again, Jesus is talking about things mysterious to us. Jesus said to, uh, to Philip, have, you, have I been with you so long you still don't know me, Philip? This is where he asked to see the Father. Mm. Show us the Father to be enough for us. And Jesus says, Whoever's seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father? So, we, if we stopped there, that would kind of make sense to us, and it, I think it would even work with eternal functional subordination. I don't think the next one does. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Mm-hmm. Well, how can a father be in a son? So, so we can't read back into the Trinity our human experience. Right. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. You can't pull the Trinity apart. It's not. This is not like a rope that you can undo and somehow pull apart. They exist in each other, or there is no Trinity. Mm-hmm. For eternity... For eternity, the eternally happy, happy Trinity, happy in themselves or right. itself, or how do you describe the one essence? I don't know the correct way. Well, that's that's what's so interesting about the the grammar of the Old Testament is that Elohim is plural, mm-hmm. but he acts singular. Right. So in the beginning, Elohim plural um, creates singular mm-hmm. the world. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it. 
And it's not we, just we there. Speak, we speak of God as as He in the singular, even though He's He's plural. Yeah, it's not just there. Either. You go back and listen to that episode we did on Trinity in the Old Testaments. They're all over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so you, some people, I think you may think this this is like deep theology. How does that? How does this even apply to me? Well, I think a number of ways. You know, one that I brought up before was. Uh, in regard to, uh, if we can tie it all up, when you when you are discouraged because you've fallen, you know, you've sinned, and you're ashamed, and people struggle with this, and they sometimes even feel like God, maybe God doesn't even love me anymore. When when, when we talk about God and His essence, and what we've already talked about before, His timelessness, that He doesn't learn, He doesn't know anything, that He's omnipresent, that He's everywhere. Um, it's true that God chose us before we ever did anything good or bad before the foundation of the world, but God's not surprised. Like, when you sin, this this is kind of crazy to think about, but you're going to fail in the future, and God's present there also. So he's already there where you failed mm-hmm. in the past and where you fail in the present and where you're going to fail in the future, and he doesn't not love you already fully aware of all of that, the Father and the Son and the Spirit. The Father still uh, sent His Son. The Son still died. The Spirit still applied to work and will bring you to completion. Being at every moment in your life, and he's He's already at your death. This is something that I think about. If you're someone who is like maybe struggles with fear of death, God's already at your death. He's there right now, he, and that should be some type of comfort, uh, I think, to you. He's at your birth. He's at your death. But there's also this amazing thing about the happiness of God. Um, Jesus promised, or he said, it's better that I go away, and this answers that first question. How is it better that Jesus go away and that the Spirit comes, that he sends the Spirit yeah. who will be with us and in us? And the reasons that that's better is because Jesus has a body eternally, and he's only in one place in space-time at a time. Mm -hmm. But because he not only has a human nature, but he has a divine nature, and you can't pull the Trinity apart, wherever the Spirit is, guess what, George? There the Son is, there the Father is. And so in John 14, 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. So who is indwelled? Right. Who are we indwelled by? Right. The Holy Spirit, um, but also the Father and the Son. And that should be that should really be mind-blowing to think about. Like, we've talked about this God, this really big God who is not pathetic, like most people's gods, eternal, all that that one essence, how amazing this self-existent being indwells a human. Mm-hmm. If that doesn't blow your mind, nothing's going to blow your mind. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. And the only way he could do that is to cleanse us of our sin, to give us the perfect righteousness that he himself, only he himself possesses, mm. that the Son had, he gives it to us. It, if he indwells us, that means you are actually forgiven of your sins. Right. He cannot be 
it could not he could not possibly be with us if it were otherwise mm-hmm. um pretty amazing i think it's amazing anyway yeah yeah it is which has major implications for things that paul will unpack about like even like sexual sin Mm. You remember the strange, like he makes mm. that strange comment uh-huh. about why sexual sin is so bad, right? Um, yeah, but we gotta, we'll probably gotta shut gotta this shut it down. down. <laughs> yeah, let people work that out on their own. Yeah, eternally happy God didn't need you, but wanted you to have His joy in yourself. Mm. Um, and Jesus said that in John fifteen eleven, the things I've spoken to you, I've spoken these things to you that my joy may be in you. There, there it is. Yeah, and, and your joy may be full. Mm. So, and this is you know this answers this que- these questions. So, we have eternal life. Have you ever thought about it from this angle? How does a fallen creature? How do you possess eternal life? Because that's the promise Jesus gives. Mm-hmm. If we repent and we come to Him by faith. And the reason that we possess eternal life is because we're possessed by eternal life. Mm. The eternal God. Right. Yeah. And I'm shutting the tablet. You're shutting it. Which means I'm shutting it down. Shutting it down. Okay. Well, that was um, that was a long one. It was a long one. It's a one um, hour. Going on one hour. But it also was filled 50 with... 50 minutes. Uh, it was filled with a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, so hopefully it has been helpful. Hopefully we have been able to um, to unpack this a little bit for you. Um, we are talking about the uh, eternal God, and um, we are finite, and so we're we're trying to uh, to talk about the infinite and uh, looking at the scriptures. And so hopefully we've helped you to understand a little bit more. Um, encourage you to just keep diving into the scriptures and seeing what uh, God has revealed about Himself there. So if it's been helpful, please make sure to like, subscribe, share, and uh, we hope that this helps you to become more and more conformed to Christ. And we will see you next time for Text Driven Tuesday. See you next time.